Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It is DJ, joined as always by my co-host, Kelsey. We had ourselves a very, very busy weekend on the sports front. A whole lot of action, a whole short amount of time, and it was a pretty super, super weekend, I suppose. And we got a super show coming up today, too. Yeah, look, it's not going to be like the super show we had on Sunday, where that three-and-a-half-hour-long marathon of fun we had, which, honestly, let's be honest, there was a lot of fun in there. Hmm. Um, and by the way, I guess I invented a new term, beanie weenies, that nobody had ever heard. Little Smokies for, you know, the simple, the ones that actually know how they're supposed to be called is Little Smokies, just so we're yeah, all on you know, You know, it's a, it's a Kelseyism. We'll just call it that. We we create words on this show and we uh, we roll with it. But no, it's been, it's been a fun weekend. Fantastic Super Bowl. Fantastic Super Bowl halftime show. But that's not what we're prepared for. We're prepared for the nether fun weekend coming up this weekend, which is, well, it's that all-star game coming up, DJ. And I know this is going to be an exciting one coming up, too. Well, you know what? That's just going to take us right into the aforementioned named tip-off. Fittingly named as well, too. Brought to you by Dr. Squatch Smell Command. Feel like a champion. Click the link in our bio. Get all of your grooming needs as well, too, from soap to deodorant and everything in between. Well, for the tip-off, we're actually going to start there. Let's talk about basketball. So with that all-star game coming up in Cleveland, some of the NBA's best will be taking the court. But it's not really the game in particular that most people tune into. It's honestly more or less the events that surround it, the challenges, as well as just the overall atmosphere. Because... Looking at the tickets for the game, it's not going to be a whole lot of casual people in there as well. Too, no one's going to be not a whole lot of people who can afford to shell out that kind of money. No, you'd, you'd think the game was in L.A. with the price of these tickets they're, they're putting out there. I mean, geez, the cheapest one I saw out there was seven hundred dollars for a nosebleed of all nosebleeds in uh, in Rocket Mortgage. Well, that's it even was, better than, than when I was looking. Insane. The cheapest I saw was eleven fifty when I looked. Like my goodness, it's like the only thing I could reasonably afford was a Rising Stars nosebleed for about four fifty or something like that. And that was one single ticket reasonably afford i couldn't reasonably afford that the hbcu tickets were were the most reasonable ones for me and that was like 110 120 that they're looking at and that's not even in rocket mortgage arena or rocket mortgage stages by the way that's actually across town in cleveland states arena so okay well that that's different okay i didn't look there i didn't look that far <laughs> that's how silly the, these ticket prices are they are just insane just i mean come on what do you know your out know your audience and and more importantly know the location this isn't la this should not be well, this is not Las Vegas either, not Miami. You know, these tickets should not be in the thousands of dollars when they first release as a face a face value, $1,000. Like I get it, courtside, middle range, somewhere in those areas too where you can reasonably almost throw throw a pile of like those folded up socks and hit a player. I understand those being in the thousands. Like that, that makes yeah. sense a little bit more. Like Celebrity Row, the where you see Kevin Garnett and all those guys on the highlight reels jumping up during the dunks like, oh, leaning back, running around with their camcorders. Like if you're close to those, I get that, but if I want to sit like 18 rows up, I should it shouldn't cost four figures plus at that point. Too. I mean, I get it, they're hot commodities, but let's let's reel it back just a little bit now. I mean, compare that to the to what tickets we got to go to a uh, a Cleveland game. Very nice tickets up on in the middle deck right there on the right on the the sideline. I mean, fantastic seats for what forty dollars? Uh, they're about seventy something each. Okay, that so still, yeah. I mean, a, a, an increase of over. 3,000% for these ticket prices is, is insane. It, for an all-star game, too. It's an, it's one that doesn't even really count. It is for fun. So, like, that. besides, we can go in on and on about that all day. The point is, we will be watching this from the comfort of our own of our own couches as well, too. We will not be there live at the event, but we're going to kind of just jump into it. I want to look at some of these challenges. I want to see what your take on them. We're going to start looking at what, honestly, it used to be my favorite as well, too, and I still like it a whole lot, the skills challenge. This year, they got Team Antetokounmpo featuring Giannis, Thanasis, and Alex Going against Team Cavs, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. Against Team Rooks, Scotty Barnes, Kate Cunningham, and Josh Giddy. So what are your first thoughts when you hear that lineup? Uh, so first of all, Team Antetokounmpo, I'm sorry, outside of Giannis, it's, it's going to be a struggle for you. Uh, that, <laughs> Rooks and Cavs, that Rooks and Cavs matchup, though, man. Ooh, that's uh, that's going to be fun. But Kate Cunningham, and then let's not forget Josh Giddy, who has been lighting it up with multiple triple-doubles this season are absolutely tearing it out, tearing it up. And then the Cavs, I mean, Darius Garland by himself, an all-star. Jared Allen, by the way, also an all-star now. 
Hmm. Couldn't be bothered with uh with stopping playing Pokemon Arceus though. He had to uh to get told while he was playing the video game, which I think is still hilarious. I mean, if you talk to me when I first get a Pokemon game too, like it can wait. Like if you see my head dipped into there, you can wait. Yeah, but no, it's uh, look. I think it's fantastic. I think this Cavs team is is going to be one that's it's, it's gonna, probably going to end up taking the skills challenge. But I all I do love the I do love the Rooks team. That that team is fantastic, full of young skill players. Um, the only one I really worry about in the Rooks team is Scotty Barnes, and that's just for no other reason than I know he has the ability, but he hasn't had the greatest season. So confidence, you know, plays a little bit of a part in there. Whereas Josh Giddy, Kate Cunningham, you already know what they're going to bring. I mean, they're skilled athletes from top to bottom. So um it'll be interesting to see though and, and the, the jared allen aspect obviously with the Cavs, you're like well okay that's a, a awkward guy running running the floor there trying to do any skills challenge so we'll see but look skills challenge is one of those things it's you never know i mean i've been, I've been surprised before bigs always end up winning it somehow so maybe we'll be surprised uh alex and and, and thanasis might might pull out some crazy stuff for for the optikupo team and and we'll see but I, I do like this one i do like how they split it up into teams this year though i think that's a little more interesting it is very interesting. And you mentioned Biggs always seem to win. And I think the deciding factor could be Evan Mobley as well, too. He's the type of guy that if they had this as an individual thing, he'd probably end up winning the whole thing by himself. He is incredibly gifted as a big man, his ability to just weave through, but the passing, everything like that. I do agree with you, Jared Allen. We'll see what he can do in space. An absolutely fantastic basketball player, but it's usually free throw line and in and really restricted circle and in is where he does a lot of his best work. So we'll see what he has to do when he's running around in the open court. But if he's able to, at least match some of those other the other big guys for the other ones. I think the the Cavs team is going to walk away with this when you look at Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. That's going to be that's going that's going to be a tough one to overcome, but we'll definitely see on that one as well too. It's definitely a fun fun one. But now we're going to jump ahead to what used to be the, the kind of the main attraction, but it's taking a little bit of a drop off. I'm going to look at the dunk contest as well too. Our participants this year, not quite the who's who's list that we're used to, but we got Obi Toppin from the Knicks, Jalen Green from the Rockets, Cole Anthony from the Magic, and Juan Anderson from the Warriors. So they're not quite the star set of lineup that we've seen before, but they, they at least got some guys that can fly a little bit here. Uh, yeah. Uh, you got three guys that, well, three guys that can fly. Uh, Obi Toppin especially can fly, mm. but um, Cole Anthony, I- I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what? What? Why is Cole Anthony a point guard who is, by the way, I believe 5'10", 5'11"? Well, are we going to see a Nate Robinson again? Is this what is this what's going to happen here? Are we seeing Nate Robinson get, getting prepared to, to go on the, the court again? Like, I, I'm i sorry. This is not – if I want a dunk contest to be entertaining again, I'm not putting Cole Anthony in this, this dunk contest. Like, that's it, period, point blank. Unless he's about to insult Pokemon again, the, the streamer. Like, there's no reason he should be in this at all. It is – I don't want to say lackluster because I, I mean it's just a fun event regardless. And we've seen some that are supposed to be lackluster. Then Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon go absolutely ballistic. Like we forget before that one is talked before that started, it was like meh. But then it happened and we were like, oh my God. So I'm not gonna rule it out yet. But when I look at it, Obi Toppin, he should be the favorite coming into this, honestly. I mean, he's the big high flyer. Like this is he is very Aaron Gordon-esque in his athletic ability. You expect in the most one. I have a weird feeling that I think Jalen Green's going to pull it off though as well. To I mean, he has a lot of bent up frustration playing on those Houston on Houston all season. He's an athletic, outstanding athletic guard. I could see him pulling out something. And if for some reason you talked about how the big men always seem to win the skills competition. I feel like the guards really seem to put on a show in the dunk contest. I don't know if it's because they technically stay in the air a little bit longer, maybe so they could pull out a little more magician magicianry, if you will with the exception of like Dwight Howard and Blake Griffin, obviously. But I feel like guys like a Zach Levine, a Nate Robinson, their ability to just glide and stick in the air allows them to do the things like the three legs around the back, the 360, the Vince Carter magician stuff of the world. So I can see Jalen Green really pulling out something crazy here as well, too. Who knows, maybe he jumps over and came Elijah one. I don't know at this point as well, too. I never rule anything out. Yeah, look, I mean, we might see another Kia get rolled out here in, in Cleveland and then dunk over another uh, the hood of a Kia um, and, and be considered dunking over a car. But... uh um, I'll never forget. I'm, I've never been more disappointed by a dunk over a vehicle in my life than saying Blake Griffin dunked over a car when he only dunks over the hood of the car. That's- I think if it was like a big, if it was a bigger car jumping over the hood, would be a little bit better because it was a key. It was like, all right, that's awesome. But like, it's, I still prefer Kobe jumping over a car driving directly at him. That was a Not even, like, it wasn't even like a full size Kia, it was the Kia Forte, like the tiny Kia. Like, that wasn't even a full size Kia Sorento. Like, we're looking at the, the cheap of the cheap Kias and at the time. And that's yeah, another thing. But no, I think I think you're right. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Obi Toppin should be should be the favorite. I mean, I do think Juan Toscano, I understand. I we've seen him in fast breaks 
really go up and yam on some people. So he has some ups. Um, I think he could be a surprise as well. He's my he's my dark horse pick for this, mm-hmm. honestly, just because he is an interesting athlete in the fact that he is long, wiry, and, and kind of reminds me of like uh, Jamel Moon, or not Jamel Moon, but Jamario Moon uh, from a few years back, with the, ironically, with the Cavs. Quite a few just literally leap over everybody and dunk on anything. Um, so I do think Toscano Anderson can do that. I just don't know if he has the the moves at the same time as dunking, if you get my understanding. Like, I don't know if he can pull off the the between the legs or anything like that while he's going up to dunk. But I think it'll be fun. I just I'm still shocked by the Cole Anthony decision. I think this is like Cole Anthony's just like I want to do it because I can. Like, why not? It, there's a, it feels like there's a lot to be desired when you look at the lineup as well. Too, I'm still I don't want to say disappointed, but it's like I remember seeing guys like Dwight Howard, who was in a perennial MVP caliber guy, Blake Griffin, who was on the strong come up, guys like that going into the dunk contest. So there used to be a lot more pizzazz. Vince Carter, a top tier guard. Actual all-star t- caliber players participating as well, too. Not just guys on rosters that fly. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. Granted, for Zach Levine, at the time, he was guy on roster that flies that had a lot of potential, and now he's an all-star caliber player. So who knows? Maybe Cole Anthony ends up being an all-star in a few years, and he wins a dunk contest. I don't know. but Oh, I mean, I think I think he ends up being an all-star in a few years. I just, like, this is just one of those things. I don't think, I don't look at him and see dunk contest winner next to his name at any point in time in this career. I, I believe that as well, too. I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like there's a whole lot of other options. I want to see Anthony Edwards in this, honestly. That's who I really wanted to see in this yes. one. After what he did to that poor man, I think it was just this last year, where he actually literally caught a body in midair. That's somebody I would like to see in this one as well, too. Oh, there's so many people I would like to see. Heck, bringing Jalen Green's teammate, Kevin Porter Jr., I'd been okay with that one, too. Like, there's so many players I could I could see coming in and doing this, and then they're just like, ah, oh, no, maybe not, like. Heck, Cam Reddish would have been fantastic too. Like, I mean, Kevin Knox bringing Kevin Knox again to do it. Like, I don't, I don't care at this point in time. Just not Cole Anthony, not five foot ten Cole Anthony. And I'm gonna say, I'll eat my words. I will happily eat my words if he goes out there and just outperforms everything. Then I'll happily eat my words. If John Collins didn't get injured, he'd be a fun one as well too. If he was not dinged up right now, that'd be another fun one. But that's gonna take us to arguably maybe the 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 main event of all-star weekend besides the game looking at the three-point shootout as well too and this one is really kind of taken over for all-star week as far as those events we got fred van fleet from the raptors desmond bain from the grizzlies luke Kennard from the clippers that aforementioned zach levine for the bulls the newly acquired pelican cj mccallum patty mills of the nets trey young of the hawks and the surprise one carl anthony towns of the timberwolves Quite the lineup there as well, too. Everything we said we wanted about the dunk contest, you got a lot of that in this three-point shootout. Oh, man. Like, this is a fantastic one. Desmond Main, by the way, now a second-year player uh, for the Grizzlies. Look, he, he was fantastic last year in that in, in getting them into the play-in game to begin with. He was a big part of their, their stretch run, knocking down outside shots left and right. We already know Zach Levine can dunk with the best of them, but, you know, the best part of his game has been his three-point shot that he's developed over the last couple of years as well, and it's a knockdown three-point shot. I mean, it is solid. We all know Fred Van Fleet, like the guy you leave him open, fantastic shooter all around. Trey Young, I worry about in a three-point contest, mm-hmm. honestly, because he is so quick trigger in a game that it, I mean, like it's a fantastic shot that you won't get tired on in in the last couple buck, like last couple shots. But it's not the most accurate three-point shot in the world. I mean, I believe he's only shooting around thirty-six percent, thirty-five percent this season. So, not been a great three-point shooting season for Trey Young. But we do know him as a three-point shooter. Uh, Patty Mills has been stepping up greatly. Luke Kennard, we all know he can knock down. CJ McCollum, he's a knockdown shooter as well. I love the Carl Anthony Towns inclusion, though. Like, the dude that, as much as he bothers me because he does not play down low with how big of a body he is, he can shoot the ball with the best of them. I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. He can shoot with the best of them. He's been able to do it since he was in high school, in college, at Kentucky, now in the pros. And, I mean... Why not? Why not throw him out there and let's see what he can do? It's like we've had worse competitors in the last five, ten years. Like, I am loving the the Carl Anthony Towns one here. And on top of that, he's quietly played himself in MVP conversation as well, too. Having the Tim Rolls actually as a viable play play as a viable team as well, too, with him and Anthony Edwards. So Carl Anthony Towns, he's kind of my I don't want to say my sleeper to win. Like he's not the one I bet money on, but I think he's a sleeper that can win this as well. Too. We've seen some goofy some goofy surprises when it's not like steph or clay it's like oh really he won that you're serious like i could see him being a guy that just randomly gets hot and starts letting him rip and you mentioned that with trey young unless i can get like maybe four or five floaters in traffic as a warm-up with him then i want to see him start shooting those three-point contests but he'll either drain he'll, he'll either drain every single one of them 
or he will probably get bounced out in the first round. Unfortunately, he is very, very streaky, especially this year, just the three point shot. I look at Patty Mills, kind of the same thing. I think he will. I think he's going to be really good, but I don't know if he'll quite bounce out of that first round unless he gets ridiculously hot, like Aussie hot necessarily. Yeah. I look at Fred Van Fleet, kind of the same thing. Desmond Bain. I'd put him in the same category as Trey Young. Either he will cook everybody right away or he might sputter a little bit. The ones that I'm really surprised are Zach Levine. Kind of, well, Zach Levine, I'm going to put, I think he's going to be kind of in that Patty Mills spot. Really, they're both going to be good. I don't think there's a chance they'll sputter, but the chances of them taking off, I think, are smaller. I'm looking at Luke Kennard, who can be just an absolute sniper when needed. And then CJ McCollum, the recently traded CJ McCollum. This feels like an event CJ McCollum will win. Like, since he got traded to the Pelicans, he has been balling out as well, too. It's not like he went there and just, disappeared he looks really really good and revitalized so i can see him just walking in there and start splashing him at a ridiculous clip he's known as kind of a mid-range dynamo but he can when he gets going from three it's a very smooth and clean shot so my two my favorites and my sleeper my favorite is cj mccall my sleeper is carl anthony towns that's that's fair and uh, by the way just to back up your carl anthony towns stat uh he is shooting on the season at 40.6 percent from three-point land and uh in his career 39.6 percent from three-point land so pretty dang good from three-point territory. I was standing. I just wish the numbers were, the attempts were just a little bit lower. Just just a little bit. I, like, yeah, I mean, personally, I think for them to succeed as a team, the, the Timberwolves need to him inside. But you know what? Do you, man. Um, <laughs> but I will say, for my favorite, I'm actually going to go my favorite is going to be Luke Kennard. Uh, shooting at about 43% this season. Been absolutely lights out. And a guy who I trust wholeheartedly with the way he's been shooting lately to knock down open shots. Um, and I'm going to say, I'm going to go with you on this one. My sleeper, I think I'm going to have to pick Carl Anthony Towns just because why not? But if I'm going to pick on all, like, just to give you all Carl Anthony Towns, I'll get, I'll pick an alternate. Hmm. I'm going to say Desmond Bain. Okay. That's a good one. So you get Carl Anthony Towns as your sleeper. I'll take Desmond Bain as my sleeper, but Luke Kennard is my favorite. I, I like as well too. And Luke Kennard's honestly been one of the bright spots for the Clippers this year with, with the injuries and how they've been rattled as well too. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he's able to carry that over. It should be fun. And just kind of hammer home the point about Carl Anthony Towns with his shooting. Him able to shoot as a big man has allowed Anthony Edwards to get a running start to the basket with nobody else in there as well, too. And once he gets takeoff, it's good luck everybody else down there. So, honestly, that three-point shot from as much as we wish he shot a little bit less because we know how good he is on the block, it yeah. does open things up a little bit more as well, too, in the spacing, quote-unquote, game. So, I, I hope he wins it as well, too. That'd be absolutely awesome. But that is going to do it for our tip-off, which fittingly was about basketball as well, too. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. That's going to slide us on into Kelsey's second favorite part of the show. That is the main event brought to you by Colorcast, the premier audio sports broadcasting app as well. So you definitely jump on there, you know, talk, talk, give your takes for a game, get your own talk show, do whatever needs to be done. You can't miss it. There's room for everybody. And Kelsey, it's a, we kind of have to talk about it now. The biggest game of the year in American sports, the Super Bowl just took place. And the Los Angeles Rams coming out with it with the Super Bowl W second time in a row, a home team has won a Super Bowl. Yeah, look, I mean, wow. Uh, talk about a game, first of all. And it, this game was was full of kind of crazy moments. Like, who would have thought OBJ would have been just as just absolutely dominating as he was before going down with the horrific knee injury? I mean, that first of all, how dominant he was up until that point. I mean, we have to say that he was well on his way to Super Bowl MVP statistics. I mean, two catches for 52 yards and a touchdown. He was off to a heck of a start. And then the knee injury. Can we talk about this for a moment? Like the knee injury itself, how heartbreaking is it for a guy who has dealt with so many knee injuries, dealt with his time in Cleveland as bad as that was, and basically being blamed for being the pariah on that team where we all just knew that just wasn't a good fit. That just wasn't a team fit for him. Like it's nobody's fault other than trying to force it. Like that's the only problem is trying to force a fit that didn't exist there. And goes to LA, starts to have a resurgence in his career. On his way to have a child the same day, his due date, his, his girlfriend's due date or partner's due date was the day of the Super Bowl and then gets injured uh, during after after what is a fantastic first half performance. And that's just like that was heartbreaking, man, just to watch him go down. And then on top of that, you see Cooper Cup dominating in the end of the game as really well deserved as it should be. 
and Matt Stafford. I mean, come on. Can we continue? To, like the root for the guy. Love or hate the Detroit Lions back when he was playing for him. Love or hate the LA Rams. You got to root for, for Matt Stafford. I feel like there's no, unless you just were the backup quarterback that had his girl stolen by him back in high school and college. Like, I don't know reason why you could root against Matt Stafford. I, I can't either as well too. It's great to see. I'm an Auburn point. fan and I can't root against Matt Stafford. It's all you, all you need to hear at that point as well too. I will go back to the OBJ thing, but I thought it was interesting. I was looking at it as well too. Towards the end of his Giants career, before you had to mention, he's kind of the pariah as well. Towards the end of his Giants career, he had that ankle injury on a, when Eli kind of sailed it on him on a slam pass and it came down and the ankle got destroyed. Not too long later, traded to Cleveland. In Cleveland, he had that torn ACL and under went Baker under through the ball and it got picked off. Running back, his ACL exploded. This ball, obviously the least egregious of them, is slightly behind him. He still has to catch that one. Then the then the leg explodes. So it makes me wonder. If the trend continues, does this mean we're going to see him go somewhere else soon as well, too, just to keep up with history repeating itself? I don't think so. He loves L.A. L.A. loves him. He said he'll take a crypto team friendly discount. So I imagine he'll stick around, especially because right now going into the offseason, torn ACL probably won't be available to like November, December at the best. So chances are he's not going anywhere. But it is something interesting how that kind of trend almost has happened with these injuries as well, too. Hopefully it's nothing. Hopefully he's able to bounce back fine. I mean, he's still a relatively young guy with with a few years left, so we'll definitely see how that goes. Just That's oh, interesting sorry. you mentioned that because there are, there are those rumors, and I'm sure we're going to talk about these later, but obviously the rumors after the Super Bowl of the trifecta of Rams, so OBJ, Aaron Donald, and Sean McVay potentially retiring after that Super Bowl, and, and we'll get into those later, but I, it's, it's worth mentioning now that you say that, that that has been the rumor after the Super Bowl, and you talk about his leaving after the injuries. That's something I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later in this. But I mean, what is your besides besides just that? What else did you take from this game? I mean, this is this was a fantastic one for the Rams and really the Bengals for that matter too. Couldn't be a more fitting Super Bowl for Matt Stafford, honestly, as well too. His whole career has kind of been known as a quote unquote comeback kid who's a little bit reckless, a little bit. Started off really hot. OBJ goes down. Everything's suddenly it's basically him and Cooper and nobody else really because Van Jefferson did not play his best game. The tight ends that scour neck was absolutely terrible honestly like they didn't have a whole lot of weapons elsewhere they could not run the ball to save their life it was he's basically back in detroit almost as well too his best detroit teams as sad as that is to say is basically what he had here to work with had some moments like that jesse bates pick was kind of an arm pump but at the same time you don't want him to throw that the other pick off of a receiver's hands and just throws it right to the db it, it was very massed after us but it is just perfect because when it mattered most he found a way to make the comeback the comeback kid he has always been I think he's top five all time in comeback wins as well, too. Like he is absolutely fantastic. And he did it in a way that is very Matt Stafford as they talked about all he had did was force it to Calvin Johnson. Well, when Push came to shove, he found a way to give it to him. who is the best receiver in football right now, regardless of whatever you want to say, Cooper Cup. He he got him four catches for like what was it, 39 yards on that drive alone, and then plus yeah. the reverse that got 10 yards and the game winning touchdown. It was Literally Matthew Stafford to a Tebow in, in a bigger moment. It nothing changed as well too, besides the receiver and the jerseys and the stakes. It was absolutely fantastic. And Cooper Cup, I think, might have completed arguably the best receiving season of all time when you factor everything in. That led the league, the triple crown in the regular season, an incredible postseason run. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it does rival that Larry Fitzgerald playoff run of a few years ago. Plus the Super Bowl MVP with a couple of touchdowns. He was absolutely incredible. I. Obviously, you could still say you take Devontae Adams over him. Like, there is the opinions there. Some people take Jamar Chase over him, possibly. But there is no doubt about it that Cooper Cup right now, statistically speaking, is the best receiver in football. And moving forward, I how do you? I don't see why how this Rams team can't honestly repeat if everyone does come back as well, too. Like, I'm not saying I'm predicting the repeat. Let's not get hasty. But they got a squad there, and Cooper Cup is – I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he does it again. If he, He's a young guy who's already had kind of – as long as he can stay healthy and he can keep – a relatively decent quarterback back there. If Stafford does retire sooner than later, I can see Cooper Cup going on a run similar to what Antonio Brown did in the 2000s in the late 2010s before he Antonio Brown his way out. Yeah, no, look. Uh, so first of all, you mentioned Cooper Cup, and we're going to start there. And, and you mentioned his playoffs. What the stats? Four games, 33 receptions. Uh, he caught, or, or sorry, 478 yards, averaged 119.5 yards a game, six touchdowns. Um, if you put this into statistical, just reason, like just what it means, he has done in one season what Jerry Rice did in an entire career, and he is the Jerry Rice is the only one to have done that, and that is to get the trifecta, Super Bowl Vic champion, and Super Bowl MVP. All of that Jerry Rice did in a career. 
Cooper Cup did in one season. Exactly. Like he every, he's the only one to get that. You mentioned the triple crown, everything in one season. That's that's absolutely incredible as well too. It's it's it, I can't even put it into words. Honestly, I'm running out of words for it as well too. And I think the most important crazy part was they did this with an absolutely pitiful excuse of a run game. The only time they had a decent run was on that third and one during that game winning drive when Cam Akers managed to bounce his way forward for like nine yards or whatever it was. They averaged what was it two point one yards a carry or something absolutely asinine like that. Like it was abs- it was absolutely awful watching them try and run the ball against this Bengals front de- front line who performed honestly pretty well as well too. Like we talked a lot about the Rams, but the Bengals, their defense I, I think performed pretty well for the most part. Early on in that game, we talked about the problems with the Bengals offensive line, rightfully so. They were kind of having their way with that Rams offensive line early on. Like Stafford had to be, he had to get the three step drops. They they worked obviously. That's the Stafford the touchdown and he could they couldn't take those downfield strikes. It was when the defense had to keep coming back out there, back out there, back out there. But yeah. they were getting after Stafford through the middle part parts of that game. Look, Jesse Bates, fantastic safety. We've talked about it. Ends up with a ends up with a pick in this game. Logan Wilson, who I I talked about, had handled becoming their stalwart middle linebacker in a a future defense building around middle linebacker. I mean, can we just say what a fantastic game he has and probably the most egregious PI call, I think, to date uh, at this point because because it was called a PI, not a holding. Um, Defensive holding, you can make a case for a PI. That was terrible. I agree with you on that. Yeah, like, exactly. So, you can make the case he twists him. It's a loose case. Like, I, I prefer not to see it called, but, like, PI was just awful. That made no sense. Unless honest, you're on on that big of a stage, in that moment, considering how you called the game up until that point, for that flag to come out at that point in time, questionable <laughs> in a normal game normal circumstances regular season okay whatever scrap it up call it swell well I, that's fine super bowl you hadn't called a penalty all day like don't don't throw that flag but you got to give the guy credit he led the team in tackles again he dominated every left and right he was a big part of just coordinating against matt stafford a big reason why they were able to come back and get the lead in this game and makes matt stafford have to nickel and dime his way down the field at the end and this defense, I mean, if you can re-sign Jesse Bates, that should be number one, first of all. I, I don't think there's any question in anybody's mind. Your number one target defensively is Jesse Bates it, to, to re-sign if you're the, the Bengals. And you have until March 16th. If you don't get it done, oh, no. <laughs> that don't I let him hit the open market. Do not let him hit the open market. You find not a way to hopefully maybe you find a way to bring him back. You have some – all your players are young. You have money. You find a way to get it done. Absolutely. So Jesse Bates, that's number one. You got You got to give that man credit. Uh, Logan Wilson as well. Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard off the edges. What a great job they did. DJ Reader as well up the middle. He provided that extra pressure that you don't normally get in a midline push when you have the big big boys in the middle that you have for the Rams. You don't normally get a, a push through that with, with DJ Reader, but he did a great job of making his presence known and, and influencing a lot of the, the pressure on Matt Stafford and not letting Matt Stafford get out of the pocket in a lot of situations. Now, End of the game, they started double-teaming DJ Reader, and that provided Matt Stafford the ability to step up and slide in the pocket a little bit more. That's where a big difference was made on that last drive, but that's just an, that's just an adapt- adaptation they made late in the game. That's that's great coaching at the end of the day, and and you know congratulations to Sean McVay on that. But it, this is a this is a very interesting game. There's a lot of pieces that I like that it just it didn't make sense the way the game went from start to bottom. Like the Bengals defense, we did not expect them to be the number one pressure team in that game through three quarters like let's be completely fair about that i didn't expect them to have the most sacks the most quarterback pressures through three quarters but they did the 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 the, the rams defensive line we expected them to be at in joe burrow's feet all game long they didn't really attack him until late in the third quarter i say like, when it mattered most they suddenly came alive like to, at, to, at the end of the half and then through the back 17 minutes of game they were absolutely all over bro and that's kind of where we in transition next to the Bengals offense and the Rams defense going head to head. You mentioned for a good point. So they had those one, two, three, the ball was out. We talked about it on the cast as well, too. Joe Burrow had to basically, they had to be patient. He was going to have to throw the ball like 37 times for a lot less yards than he's used to. They weren't going to be able to just F it T Higgins and Jamar chase out there somewhere too often. Granted, they did get two of those as well, too, but you couldn't be as dependent on that as they used to. And they did a good job early, but once they started the push, once they started and the Rams started to sit down a little bit, I think that's when we kind of saw the holes in that offensive line and Joe Burrow taking a ridiculous amount of sacks as well, too. I mean, the sack wasn't 19 times in the postseason. Some, yeah. Something absolutely egregious. A lot of that is the offensive line. I, in my opinion, like wet tissue paper, there needs to be work there. Part of that is Joe Burrow holding the ball a little bit, too. He has a little bit of that young, I got these weapons, I'm going to sling it, I'm a playmaker, I'm that dude. 
Like he is that dude and he's done his whole career and you can make plays. And another a big part of that too is the coaching as well too. Zach Taylor did him no favors with the amount of empty sets they put in. They say Samaje Pirine's the better pass blocking back. You sent him out on routes more often than not, it felt like as well too. You brought in CJ Uzama who's dinged up and you asked him to help block on these stunting Aaron Donald and Von Millers and Leonard Floyds. He can chip. I like him chipping, but I don't want to keep him in just to block as well too. When, with a weakened knee, that's a waste of him as well too. So I didn't really... Zach Taylor's a fine coach. He deserves to be a coach. I'm not here to say he's terrible and they got here despite of him, but there, he, I don't think that was his best job. You had two weeks to game plan for this pass rush. There's only so much you can do, but it felt like he still had a lot of the same tendencies of, oh, Joe Burrow's so good in the empty set. He'll make it right. Oh, wait, he's a one-read quarterback when you put him in the empty set. You don't. Then it's not that his fault. He doesn't get time to survey the field when you have Aaron Donald and Von Miller having basically reservations for his lap before the play even starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, this is... Yeah, look, uh, that <laughs> I can't speak strongly enough how much I was terrified for Joe Burrow's knee. <laughs> and by the way, rightfully so, as it came out after the Super Bowl, he re-aggravated that M- MCL. And so he he did end up injuring that during when he went down in a heap. And we had they watched him, you know, uh, the, the, the trainers had to come out and see him. And turns out he did mess up that MCL again, by the way, in this postseason play. So you got to look at that. And, and number one, my number one thing is, well, for the Bengals going forward, you already know the hole you need to plug. It is the entire offensive line. Oh, good. So we'll go and get to the fun part of moving. No, 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 I'm not done. I, I still have to go back to this office. I just have to start with that and just be like, because I otherwise I'll go like forever on how bad Adinji and Prince and uh, Hopkins did in double teaming Aaron Donald, even though your job is to double team Aaron Donald when he's lined up over Adinji. But you couldn't do it. You, you literally watched him walk through that defensive line time and time again. I mean, Adinji did a, a great job for a rookie. But the problem is you're putting your rookie on an island with Aaron Donald, and you're not going to win that, get, that that battle. That is a losing battle from day one. It was like putting Trey or putting uh, Justin Fields out there against the Browns earlier this season, like the, the, the Bears, dude. It was literally just watching a guy, and he's put, you're putting live bait out there with no protection. Like, that is just what you're just watching and, and seeing, and it was awful to watch, and Look, I got to give Jonah Williams credit. He was probably the only person on that def- on that offensive line that really could say they had a good game. And even he kind of let some some stuff slip through, but he wasn't the one being punished as much as Adinji and Prince on the right side. That is a complete hole on the right side. And look, Adinji's going to get better, but Prince is he's a dude walking. Like he he's going to walk at the end of the season and you need to replace that, but this is that was awful. And despite all of that, Despite all of that, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase gave you 165 yards and two touchdowns between the two of them against Jalen Ramsey, the number one corner in the game, and they give you 165 and two touchdowns against them. I, now, 80 of that could have been pulled back, obviously, with that. But obviously, yeah, there's the still, questionable. Got loose. There's the questionable did not call this PI, which is my whole thing going back to Logan Wilson thing. If you didn't call the Jalen Ramsey one, which was egregious, how do you call the Logan Wilson one? I don't get it, but what do I know? Um, I'm not an NFL referee, so so be it. I don't get paid that well. Um, but I, I, you know, you got to look at that that way. Like, despite all of that, this team still found a way to make itself a presence offensively and make itself known. And they did it without really the run game that they've been relying on all season long. Like Joe Mixon, there. I, I mean, you're exactly right. Samaje Piran was in there a good 45% of the time. Like, why is he in there? Why is Joe Mixon your star? Why is Tomaj P. Ryan taking the fourth and one handoff? Third and one, but yes. Right, third and one handoff to, to try to sense the game. Why is that not Joe Mixon? Why is your superstar running back not in there? Why is the top three guy in yards carried offensively for a running back not in the game in a third and one or even the fourth down play the next play? Why? Why does somebody explain this to me? Zach Taylor, I need answers. And, more importantly, I think this. Oh, go 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 ahead. Oh, so Zach Taylor did explain that actually. Basically, his explanation was the running back coach went up and asked him about that as well. It's like, hey, do we want Mixon on this third and one? And the play clock is winding down. He was late getting the plan. He's like, all right, we'll just let P Ryan stay out there because they keep him out there in those pass heavy situations, like two minute drill, as a pass blocker. So basically, he said it. It was like a heat of the moment, make a mistake sort of thing. The fourth and one's the one that really. I mean, third and one, I get it. If you get the play in late, you're like, oh, shoot, we got to be. But fourth and one, that is when all the marbles are out there. You don't mess around. That's like. The Colts in, a, in that situation not having Jonathan Taylor on the field. Third and one, you go too fast. You caught the running out of time. Whatever. Fourth and one, there's no excuse to not have him out there. Here's my thing. You have a timeout. 
You had two. Time- I, well, actually, you had a full set of timeouts at that time. Uh, I think they had two because they used the one after the failed third down, so they had one. Okay, left so, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was thinking third. Well, I was thinking on third and one because I think they'd already used the other timeout before that. Okay, so two two timeouts mi- minimum yeah. at that point in time. You're, you 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 get this first down, you win the game essentially. Like you can literally walk out the game at that point in time. Or I don't care if the clock is running down. Like yeah, I mean like you have you had a great option. Let's put it that way. You have a better than eighty percent chance if you get this first down to win the game. And if you just use your timeout, get the personnel you need in there, there's no heat of the moment making a mistake conversation. And this brings me to a bigger question of Zach Taylor. We talked about this before the Super Bowl. Is he actually a good coach or is he being carried by his players? And that is the ultimate question as well. He did get an extension, so we're going to find out one way or the other. Like He's going to be there to, through for at least four more years, I believe it is. So we're going to find out as well, too. And I don't understand when you after you take that timeout why you still stick with it on third and one fourth on fourth and one after third and one. If yeah. nothing else, Joe makes it catch the ball in the flat for you really quick. You know that ball's got to come out. If, even looking at the replay of it from the bird's eye view, everyone tries to point out, oh, Jamar Chase got loose. Well, first of all, Joe Burrow's on the ground. Jalen Ramsey's watching the backfield and, ce- and is celebrating while fu- and that's when he falls down. Second of all, it's a slant flat concept at the top at the opposite side of the screen where Burrow was initially looking before Aaron Donald's eating him. So the chance of that Jamar Chase thing was never happening. Just for the screenshot heroes out there on Twitter. Like that was, that was yeah. not an option really, unless you have like four more seconds for Burrow to magic his way out, which is very possible, I guess, but not very high on those odds, but imagine Joe Mixon out there in the flat as well too, is just a quick check down option. If they, that's why you have to have Joe Mixon in there on that fourth and one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, so many opportunities for this. I, I just, I look back at this game and this one isn't to me, it's not a, not necessarily a game of like missed opportunities, it's a game of missed decisions, if that makes sense, offensively for the Bengals. I feel like there were a lot of plays that they could have changed. Uh, not even changed, but just changed their personnel that was on the field and they would have had more success. Or changed their formation into one that's not five wide on fourth or on third and seven when, uh, you know, you need to get a first down. Maybe, maybe slide it down to, a, a, you know, 11 personnel. Maybe you get an actual full running back in there and an actual tight end in there. Like, don't split them out wide. There's a lot that we could look at. And what if in this game, you mentioned, you know, I'm looking at there's a lot of what ifs. What if Odell doesn't go down? What if they call the face mask? What if they call the holding? What if they don't call this holding? What if Eli Apple doesn't run his mouth continuously and doesn't have to get Eli Apple, man? What if he doesn't have to become the burnt toast emoji as well, too? What if he just keeps his mouth shut? There's a whole lot of it as well, too, but it's kind of going to move us into the, what the part you kind of alluded to. We're going to roll into it now as well, too. Before we get there, I do want to say shout out to Von Miller as well, too. Back in the Super Bowl once again, and he ends up with two sacks, two tackles for loss. He has an outstanding game as well, too. Quiet, though. Quiet through the first half, but we talked about it at halftime when we were doing the color cast. We had literally said, where is Von Miller? We need him to show up. And, and then literally the next play, next next drive, he gets a sack. Absolutely. Like, oh, okay, there he is. And I thought it was interesting by Raheem Morris, who could be an NFL head coach again real soon. They they did a lot of stunting. I don't think I don't think Aaron Donald and Von Miller just straight rushed yeah. more, maybe fifty percent of the time. There was a lot of stunting, which made it harder to block. And I may have surprised the Bengals didn't go to any of their halfback screens, which they run at nauseum against the Chiefs. But then in this game, they didn't run a single halfback screen. The closest thing they got was a pump fake receiver screen that threw a slant on the backside. You did everything that the opposite we did against the Chiefs on your first touchdown that got you into the game, like. Joe Mixon, again, I don't know. It would definitely screw up those twists a little bit, I'd imagine, as well. Because it's it's hard to chip when they're stunting like that as well, too. So it's another way to throw off them just a little bit, at least. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those trends. I think they went full full, full, full board against the trend that time. And I was like, no, that's not the trend I want you to go against right now. The trend I want you to go against is the stupid middle handoff on first and 10 every single time. That's the trend I need you to buck. Not... Mm-hmm not the ad nauseum halfback screens against a twisting blitzing team. Like the, the, bring those back. Hmm. It's kind of ironic. It's almost like he went with Sean McVay did in that Super Bowl against the Patriots in his first Super Bowl, where he kind of outcoached himself in a lot of spots and put Jared Goff, who while a lot more limited than Burrow and Stafford, he put him in no win spots. Really? That's kind of what I think Zach Taylor did in some of these spots as well. So he almost outcoached himself, which is what Sean McVay said he learned from in that first one. So that's a very neat, and that's kind of ironic how that kind of plays out, but we're gonna, as we wrap up this part of the same, we're going to get to probably the part you've been most looking forward to. What do these teams have to do going forward heading to the offseason? You kind of alluded to it with the Bengals, so we'll start there. What do they got to do going forward if they want to try and repeat at least some of the success they had this season? Number one, sign Jesse Bates. <laughs> Done. Once you <laughs> sign Jesse, literally offer him a blank check and say, put in however many years you want. 
you can be the highest paid safety in the in the league. Here you go. Top five safety in the league in my eyes today. Easily. I mean, I'd probably even put him up there top three at this point in time just because how skilled he is all around. He can cover. He can hit. He can step into the box. And on top of that, he can pick the ball off. He doesn't have brick hands. So you add that all, all that into it, you, you have a pretty darn good safety, and he still has plenty of prime years left. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at about at least three to four or five, four solid prime years of him before he starts maybe tapering down, barring injury. So number one, I'm signing Jesse Bates. Number two, my draft order, my draft picks go in this order. Offensive lineman, offensive lineman, offensive lineman, offensive lineman. Oh, wait, offensive lineman, defensive tackle. That's 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 my draft picks for this Bengals team through through all all their picks. I mean, that's just you need as many offensive linemen as you can in this one. Free agency, you need to look in the offensive line area and, and see what you can get up, what you can pick up, even if it's just a rental for a year. There's going to be somebody out there available. I look at maybe Lauren Devernier Tardif, who got traded midseason. He's a free agent now. He'll he could be he can be somebody who if he if he's working himself back into health to come play again, that could help out this team. Like way more than anybody that's there already. Obviously, you have to continue growing a dingy Prince. You're, he's walking, so you're gonna have to look for a pl- replacement there. Um, I don't know. That's 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 number two and three on the list. So, number one, Jesse Bates. Number two is draft offensive lineman. Number three is free agency offensive lineman. Uh, number four, re-sign pretty much every free agent you have other than Eli Apple. Let okay. Eli Apple go quickly. <laughs> yeah, let, let let Eli Apple go. Burn some other defense. And go complain about somebody else's fan base somewhere else, and let his mom be a keyboard warrior somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so we pretty much agree. Jesse Bates at the top of the list. I won't even get into that one. Offensive line, I agree with you. Load up that offensive line, whether it's drafting it, you pick maybe you pick really late at thirty-one. Maybe you look for a team who's trying to move a talented offensive lineman as well too with that thirty-first pick. Like yeah. Mekti Beckton and the Jets seem to be. I don't want to say shaky, but it feels like there's a little bit of instability there. Maybe you see if he's somehow available. Maybe the Jets are like, we want another first-round pick. Maybe the Colts do something stupid and trade Quentin Nelson because they don't want to pay him. You never know. If you can see what you can get if that first-round pick, you could shop for a young offensive lineman or something, or a movable offensive lineman. See what see what's out there as well, too. But you're going to do draft offensive line out the nauseum. The third underrated thing I think I'd look at is I want to see them get another linebacker to pair with Logan Wilson. I want to see, like, every great linebacker seems to have a running mate. You look at Darius Leonard had Bobby Okereke and Anthony Walker at one point. You look at KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. You can go across the list as well. Too. Like every great one seems to have a running mate with him in the heyday of the Cowboys. And by heyday, I mean just like a few years ago. Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch. You can go all the way down the line. Dante Hightower and everyone else that the Patriots just plugged and played there all the, all the time. They always found another one. So I want to see him get another linebacker, maybe even a more true middle linebacker type so Logan Wilson could play weak side so he doesn't have to deal with the guards on the center as much as well too the downhill lineman he can roam a little sideways maybe match up with a tight end and i think put him in a darius leonard-esque role or something like that where he could play as that or something like that as well too like fred warner and trey and dre Greenlaw, something like that because i think he's so good in the middle of that defense i think off ball when he doesn't have to worry about the big guys coming right at him and the blocking scheme being designated around him as the mic i think he could be just as dangerous and then in the nickel he could slide into that middle role so Get him a running mate. That's the thing I'm looking at. In addition to the obvious, Jesse Bates, get the obvious offensive line. Like those are set in stone. No arguments there. Get a running mate. And I think get another number two corner that you could trust a little bit more. Obviously, Lapple's gone. They didn't want to play him anyway, I'm sure. But Trey Waynes, they couldn't play either. Mike Hilton's a darn good nickel corner, top two or three in the game. Getting up there in age, but still top two or three. Chippeday Wuzier, really, really good. Played probably his best season this last year. And if you can get another guy you could stick out there so you can trust. You don't have to move Mike Hilton because you need him to keep him as that number one slot corner. If you try and move into the outside, you end up with Jabba Chamberlain going from the bridge pitcher to the full-time pitcher. And I think that limits him as well, too. So find another corner that in those three corner sets you can trust as well, too. So that's yeah. what I'm looking at for the Bengals. And we'll go saying, I'm, I want to go to your, your linebacker conversation because I do think that's a really important spot that you mentioned. They have Akeem Davis-Gaither, who I'm a big fan of, uh, that is sitting there in – kind of just no man's land on their team. He they ha- he hasn't really due to injury didn't get to really play that much this year. But I think he's he's a fantastic pop prospect going forward. But with that said, at 31, there's some rumors that somebody like Nicobe Dean might somehow slip into that range. And I'm going to be completely honest and say this. At 31, if your options are a reach for an offensive lineman or taking a super highly athletic linebacker like Nicobe Dean 
or maybe the best available player is a corner, I'm going to be either say Nicobe Dean when that best available player is that corner. And like, I'll say you can take the rest of your draft picks and then go get those O linemen. But I do think that's something that needs to be looked at at 31 because you're, I'd say pull the old Ravens technique where they made the playoffs every, you know, when they were making the playoffs, but they weren't like winning. They would just take the best available player that was there. And that's that, that draft philosophy worked out really well in the first round. I think that could be something that the, the Bengals could do here in that first round at 31 that, you know, unless, unless an offensive lineman slips, which there's been rumors that some of them are slipping like Tyler Linderbaum, uh, potentially slipping down to him, which if he slips to 31, sprint that card, you get Jamar Kate chase yeah. that card and sprint it to the commissioner. Like you, you I'm, I'm going to call, I'm going to, I'm going to be calling their fastest ever draft pick in, in Ontario, McCaleb and, and getting him to take that one back up the, mm-hmm. up there with his four, two speed. Like I'm going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that's, that's what I do, but I mean, odds are you're probably not going to see that. So you're likely going to be looking at a linebacker that slipped or a corner. That's the top available. And I think you have to do that but I do think your number two option being an offensive lineman that slips. I just don't think you reach for that offensive lineman at 31. I think you have to to go with that linebacker role like you're talking about or that, that secondary corner, which I think would be fantastic for them. I do think regardless of whatever the plan is in the draft, they should bring in at least a veteran offensive lineman or two, like a Tardif or something like that. Just bring, even if it's someone who's kind of trash like Nate Solder, just bring in just bring in bodies that you maybe put Solder at guard and he's a little bit better. You just need to upgrade a little bit at least. Just move, slight marginal. The right tackle. I mean, put him to, put him as a right tackle next to a dingy. He, he, I guarantee you, he's much better than Prince is at right tackle. Exactly. You just got to get a little bit better in a couple of positions. Just slowly build forward because, I mean, that division's not going to get any easier next year as well, too. And I think that linebacker spot, that's so key to me. It's like if N'Kobe Dean is there, that's really hard to turn away. Or a Devin Lloyd. I mean, you're in a division with Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, arguably the probably honestly the best running back room in the game, especially if they somehow keep the Ernest Johnson for some reason, which would make no sense, but I digress. Then you, of course, have the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins. And then you have Najee Harris with the Steelers as well, too. Like, and, and whoever if, they put a, if they put Malik Willis at quarterback, and you got to chase him down Willis. too, or if for no. some reason Russell Wilson, like that, you, I feel like that that second linebacker is key. Whether it's a, however they get it, whatever way, it's a definitely important thing as well too. So I agree with you, offensive lineman primarily, but if for some reason a Nicobe Dean or a Devin Lloyd is there, it's like, well, shoot, guys, sorry, Joe, hold on. This is yeah. why I think you have to get something in free agency as well too. I, I guarantee. Oh, absolutely. So, but that'll take us to the Rams now, really quickly moving forward as well, and. This one I feel like is going to be relatively quick. I'll go, let, go and let you start. What do the Rams have to do if they want to get back here next year? Don't let Aaron Donald walk away. He Don't let Sean McVay walk away. They did both say run it back today, so it sounds like they are planning on coming back. Don't let OBJ walk away. Uh, and and I honestly say that because I know Robert Woods will be healthy for the, the season, but I also look at maybe potentially moving on from Van Jefferson. And and I, I say potentially, maybe keep him on the roster, but obviously cut Scourneck. Or trade Scourneck if you can trade him. I don't know if that's even possible, but get him out of there because he's completely useless for this Rams team. And bring in an extra receiver that I think the only thing they're missing is just a pure, just Wes Welker type guy. I know I love Cooper Cup, at, at, but he is sometimes turned more into that number. Like he is clearly their number one receiver at this point. So I need somebody to go next to him and Robert Woods that can offset both of their skills, which both of their skills are that mid to deep range ability cooper cup obviously catch a lot of short balls but i mean I, that, I don't think he'll be doing that next year because of the way sean McVay runs his offense i think you need to add in a little extra piece there that can catch some bubble screens catch some things like that and do work and then at the same time take the top off until obj gets healthy i i i formally object to i want to see tutu atwell in his four two self five so, foot six self running i want to see him just run straight every play and that's, open up underneath that's the thing. when was he ever used this season i never saw him once at this point in time like I think I saw him once in in week one, and I never saw him again. I think he did get dinged up a little bit as well, too. But I just want to see him run nine routes. So if you don't guard him, Stafford lets it fly seventy yards and two two runs underneath it. But if you if you take a second to look at him, Cooper and Bobby Trees, Robert Woods terrorize the middle until OBJ yeah. comes back. But I, I think those would definitely be that definitely be something that helps. Yeah, I do think those. The, the, I mean, really, they're, they're honestly their their problems aren't really major. Uh, you look at Taylor Rapp coming back healthy. That's fantastic. Obviously. Eric Weddle, congratulations. You got your Super Bowl ring. Now walk into the sunlight. He goodbye. <laughs> and he's um, doing it with a torn pack, too. Exactly. And so their, their safeties will be fine. They're healthy now. Uh, I do think that Darius Williams, I I don't know. I'm torn about Darius Williams, honestly. I don't know if he is a solid enough number two next to Jalen, considering how they run Jalen in this in this defense. 
So I think you maybe need to get another corner. Whether it's to replace Darius Williams or to go with Darius Williams when they slide Jalen into that slot, I don't know. But I do think you need to add another corner into the mix here that might even things out. Ideally, they'll get a nickel corner and quit doing that with Jalen, but I digress. But I, I mean, really, this this Rams team doesn't have a whole lot they need to fix. Fix. They just have a couple spots that were a little questionable. I do look at the middle linebacker with Reader. He has stepped up valiantly late on in the season, so I can't really complain too much. Um, it depends on what happens with the retirements and things like that, and and you know free agency. But I think if you can just sure up your team at this point in time, just re-sign the major free agents, you'll be fine. I, I'd agree with that. Definitely bring back OBJ if you can, especially just for the back half of the season if you make the playoffs again. I want to see them retry. It's tough because you don't have any picks, but see if you could tidy up that offensive line a little bit because it's not awful, obviously, but there it has some weak points. I mean, we saw the Niners with their front line always give them hell as well, too. We saw even the Packers, who have a weirdly effective front line, sometimes give them hell. Weirdly enough, they did well against Tampa Bay, which makes no sense to yeah. me, but I, that's, that's the weird one that I still can't figure out. But that offensive line still a little shaky if you could just especially if Whitworth does retire as well. You, if you could just tidy that up a little bit, kind of like what we said with the Bengals, just get marginally better anywhere. Same with like a Nate Solder somewhere. Just just don't get Matthew Stafford killed, basically. That's what I'm looking at from the offensive line. And give Cam Akers and hopefully Sony Michelle, who will get the ball, or Henderson, that much more space to run with as well, too. So just marginally that's tweak that offensively. That's a good point about Whitworth, whether he retires. I didn't think about that. So if he does retire, obviously pick up a left tackle. And to mention to your point of, of their offensive line, fixing it up, Replace Rob Havenstein, please. That is the hole that's on the right side. Please replace that because that is where a lot of pressure was coming from that Bengals offensive line or defensive or, line. Or kick him inside somewhere as well to see if one of your guards can be moved around. Like that, I, they just got, I just want to see it 1% better. Stafford gets older and gets another season getting banged up a little bit. Just get 1% better as well there yeah. too and open things up with the running game just a little bit more defensively. Von Miller is going to test free agency. They said if you could bring him back, that'd be outstanding. Depends if what you have to pay for him. I do want to see them actually bring in any kind of linebacker. Reader's great in those run fits, but I don't like when you were having to use Eric Weddle as basically the middle linebacker in those passing situations. I'd like to see a versatile linebacker type guy. Like it obviously doesn't have to be Isaiah Simmons, who's fast enough to play safety or anything ridiculous like that, but somebody who can like deal with a tight end a little bit as well too. I mean, you, I mean there's options in the draft there too. I mean, they can they can easily in, a, in that second and third round that they, they don't can, have second round picks. Right, the third <laughs> round that they can pick up that there's there's options. Like Zacoby McLean out of Auburn is is projected as a third round pick right now for some places from some people. I think he's a better player than that, but if he slips that far. If he's available with the 96th overall pick, that's a heck of a pick for them as well, too. If he does drop to that 32nd pick in the third round, but I think that extra linebacker to go with Reader, maybe sure up the defensive line just a little bit, maybe another defensive tackle. I did like what Robinson and squad did, so it's not too pertinent. And maybe just sure up the corner safety, just like one more play or something like that as well, too. Like Not Eli Apple, definitely don't do that. Depth at this point in time, I feel like, is the biggest thing. Exactly as well. I mean, you have all the requisite pieces. You have a co- you have a coach quarterback duo that's absolutely sensational. With, in my opinion, the best receiver in football right now. Whether whatever you say about Devontae, won't argue with you. I'm just saying what Cooper Cup did. It's hard to not give him the the crown at this point. If it, he was that dominant, so no, Cooper Cup Cooper Cup is hands down the best best receiver this this season. I mean, there's no question about it. As I, I mean, if we're doing a quote unquote fantasy draft, and you have to pick between one or the other. It, that's that makes it a little more difficult. I still think I might lean towards Cooper Cup. Just I think you can move him around to do a little. Does bit. Aaron Rodgers stay in Green Bay? That's. <laughs> I'm curious. Or does Devonta Adams go with Derek Carr? Then it's because uh, I think that could be. I think yeah. he can have a lot of fun with those two again. So we'll. we'll hey, see. they got drafted together because of that. Exactly, and Derek Carr, James Jones called him, and I quote, "Baby Aaron Rodgers." So I mean, you never, you never know. I guess too. We haven't seen. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that's a whole nother episode as well. Too. It won't go too far into that. I just. I think the Rams have a lot of good pieces to stay intact moving forward as long as they can keep things around. They don't have to tweak a lot. Just like they already have the good suit. I just want to see a little bit of a bow tie on it. That's all. And maybe, maybe some fancy jewels on the cuff. I don't need you. You don't have to do too much. You don't have to get a new suit. You don't have to get seven new chains or a new Rolex or anything. Just, just tidy it up a little bit where the Bengals, maybe, maybe one expensive chain, just a little bit extra on that. The expensive chain is the offensive line. <laughs> that's that's what you need. Really, yeah. And then the then the nice cuffs on the suit would probably be like that linebacker and maybe another corner or so, something like yeah. that. Just, just show up the pieces because Bengals could reasonably re- be right back here in the Super Bowl next year with a few tweaks, or they could real quickly miss the playoffs, especially in that division as well. Too. I mean, the Ravens were 8-3 and three with the worst injury luck ever before the Bengals took off. The Browns were a catastrophe and were actually ahead of the Bengals at one point in the division and were, I beat them twice. And then there's the Steelers, who one of the better run organizations still somehow made the playoffs with a corpse at quarterback and an emerging superstar running back. So they're always going to be in the thick of it as well, too. So the Bengals, it's a weird path back. You're either 
you either have a chance to be right back there or you could end up picking like 17 again or something weird like that. Yeah. That would be interesting. No, yeah, it's going to be very interesting going forward, but I don't know. It, it, I, I'm excited to see, but by the way, uh, I'm still standing by my Najee Harris best running back in out of Alabama uh, point, considering after his rookie year, what he's been able to do in this rookie year only with a statue at quarterback. So stand so by that wholeheartedly. Just gonna keep keep mentioning that every time Najee Harris is mentioned, I'm mentioning that I said it first. That well, I don't think I I don't think anyone here doubted that Najee Harris is gonna be a fantastic. I mean, I said I don't know if he'll be a better pro than Derrick Henry, but we said as a prospect, I agree with you, he's fantastic. Like there was no doubt he was a first round pick for both of us as well. Didn't want him to go to the Steelers, didn't like that yeah. fit, but he found a way to make it work nonetheless. Absolutely, I mean it is interesting to see, but that'll do it for our main event, and that's gonna take us into crunch time, presented by Swift Lifestyles. If you guys have not checked out Swift Lifestyles yet. Do so. It is the energy benefit without all this, the nasty stuff, nasty side effects. You get all the energy and without all the shakes. Uh, DJ, you use, use it all the time. It, think of it like pre-workout without the jitters, without the scratches, without the itchy butt, anything like that. Kind of like G Fuel that actually will help you work out as well, too. So definitely would recommend it. And use code Hilo Sports. Get yourself a little discount and maybe help us get a chance to design our own flavor or pick our own flavor as well, too, after. So help us get that as well. Just give it a try. It can't hurt. Absolutely. But so, DJ, what is your... What's been on your mind for for crunch time? There's there's a lot of things happened lately, and we haven't had a whole lot of time to talk about it. Crunch time. We're gonna go, I'm gonna go relatively quickly. We're gonna go to the octagon and talk a little fisticuffs. Obviously, the big pay per view this last weekend. We saw Israel Adesanya defend his title for I believe now that is the fifth time over Robert Whitaker, the guy he took the title from not too long ago in a kind of lackluster unanimous decision. Where depending on who you talk to, some people thought Robert Whitaker won. I thought. Izzy won, but I see the point is was it wasn't it wasn't nothing special really considering the star that Izzy is. It was like you were waiting for him to just unleash, and after like one or two shots in the first round, he was sparring basically. He was on cruise control, and Robert Whitaker seemed like he was more worried. I like, can't get starched again, can't get starched again. Didn't really go for broke, which it was smart. It kept him in the fight and gave him a good chance, but it was interesting. And a lot of people are t- Izzy deserves a lot of that respect, but let's not compare him to Anderson Silva quite anymore, simply because Anderson Izzy's a better striker. Anderson's a better killer. Anderson, if you had to stand with him because if you took him down, he's one of the submit one of the better submission guys off his back in the game and had a unique ability to just kind of relax, take his time down there and work his way either find his submission or get up. Is he he doesn't have that part of his game yet. On the feet, he'll pick you apart like a like a surgeon. And it's really impressive, but at the same time lackluster. But if you give him an opening, he'll kill you at the same time. So I don't like those comparisons. He's a Steven Wonderboy Thompson cranked up to 11. That's how I look at Israel Adesanya. Fantastic. Top five fighter in the game. Top three, depending on who you talk to. It, well, I'm curious to see what he does going forward. It looks like Jared Cannonier is going to be is going to be his next matchup. That should be a fun contrast of styles. The powerful sludgehammer swinging Jared Cannonier as well. And then co-main event, tied to Ivasum. What an absolute statement as well, too, what he did to Derek Lewis in Houston, who, by the way, Derek Lewis quit fighting in Houston. It does not work yeah, for you there. It's here. Get out of your hometown. Like, that just don't fight there anymore, but Tied to Ivasa, making an absolute statement. He's one fight away from a title shot, arguably, depending on who he goes against. Powerhouse is tough as nails. I really wish he didn't do the shoeies after his victories because it's absolutely disgusting, but good on him as well, too. Absolutely incredible statement. Like He's going to be a force to look forward to. And I'm going to look in the, the current jerker of the pay-per-view. Bobby King Green had an outstanding performance, absolutely picked his opponent apart, did the same thing, hands low, talking all the trash in the world. And he finds him. He gets an easy, unanimous decision, incredible performance. And he's going to be fighting again in about five, in about four days. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's going to be the main in three days. He's going to be the main event of this weekend. He had decided to step up to fight Islam Makachev, who is considered the boogeyman of the division after his opponent Daniil Dariush, who pulled out of the fight, did, pulled out of the fight just recently as well too. So definitely looking forward to that one as he's taking on a top five ranked guy. And Makachev is probably going to shoot him, probably going to take him down. It's probably not going to be close. But if it if Bobby Green's able to keep it standing, he's going to talk all the you know what, and he's he's pretty dangerous on the feet. So. Bobby King Green, uh, a worthy name for it. He dropped his crown after what he's doing right now. So that's what, uh, what's on my mind in the world of fisticuffs. That'd be interesting. And by the way, uh, I got a shout out Taito Ivasa for walking to the ring with girls just want to have fun. And he was mouthing the words and, and lip syncing to it on his way. He probably, honestly, he was probably full fledged singing, but I just didn't hear, I didn't hear the audio, so I couldn't see it. Uh, but, uh, you know, beating one of my favorite fighters in Derek Lewis just because of his one liners afterwards, just, mm-hmm. uh, I'm all about the smack talk, so give me give me more of that. If uh, Bobby King Green can can give give me more more smack talk, but um, for me, crunch time. I got to go back to, to to Brian Harson at Auburn, and after all that crap that they tried to to say Brian Harson did, all of it was thrown out. None of it actually happened. Proof does not exist. 
And Brian Harson, after being threatened and his job threatened after one year, everybody slandered his name, shows up the next day to the Auburn basketball game after he was cleared with his team in tow, lighting up the student section, enjoying his time, showing that he is a better man than the Auburn Board of Trustees. And you know what? Congratulations, Brian Harson. You are now the king of Auburn, and you are well-deserved. If you fought through all that, you dealt with that with your family. And all the accusations were thrown. I mean, everything just turned out to be nothing. All of that drama. And here he is celebrating like, what is the king of the campus now? Him and Bruce Pearl, just give him lifetime contracts because you're going to be seeing a lot of them going forward because this is that's a huge thing, an outsider beating the Auburn Board of Trustees, which has never happened. And uh, the Auburn Board of Trustees is basically undefeated. That's definitely good for the culture moving forward as well, too. Definitely curious to see how that plays out as well, too. And real quick before we get out of here, DJ's preseason Super Bowl pick did pay off. So if you did actually follow our bets during our preseason picks, I didn't let you down, even though I let you down with everything else this year, it feels like as well, too. So that'll do it for us today. We appreciate you stopping in with us. We'll see you guys next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 